welcome Hello. let's go live with jack kelly and today you're going to learn everything you wanted to know or didn't want to know about <laughs> managers um everybody probably watching here now and you'll be watching the replay i guarantee you want to watch this and listen to this because somewhere along the line your manager's driving you crazy and you want to know like how the heck did this person be a manager <laughs> what's up what's going on so we're going to dispel myths and we're going to share like what's going on because we have an expert so we have leah garvin she is she worked at google microsoft apple she's a best-selling author and a ted talk speaker so and we are talking somebody who like really knows her stuff. So this is just not some random manager. This is a woman who worked at some of the top best companies in the world in management level roles. So, so this is, this is our chance, my chance, I can't blow it to ask hopefully some smart, not dumb questions. So you can understand about managers. So maybe the first thing, if we could dump, just ju jump into it, Leah, what, what makes like a good or bad manager? Like, like, how does this work out? Like, and then how does somebody get to be a manager? Yeah. So I love the questions. And, and again, just say thank you for joining. And it's funny when we talked about doing this and I saw the title, like, why does everyone hate managers? <laughs> it's, it's a great title because managers are have a bad, they're in a bad, tough situation, yeah. right? I think we were talking about their, they're getting pressure from their leadership chain, from their employees. And so um, I think one thing that we hope to do in this conversation is, sort of demystify some of the stuff that maybe is outside of their control, right? And so yeah. I think for, you know, why does, why does someone become a manager? Well, unfortunately, two of the biggest reasons uh, cited by the Gallup organization is that someone is really senior, they're really highly technical proficient in their role. And so it's like, oh, you should lead people or there's just a gap to fill. Another manager leaves, so you get mm -hmm. put in that role. So that kind of points to a lot of people become managers not because they wanted to or were good at it or have had training, just because they they kind of were pushed into that role. And I think that's one of the first reasons that not all managers are very good at it because we it's not just about assigning tasks. It's not just about like approving a timesheet. There's a lot more that goes into it. And so that points mm -hmm. us to like, well, what makes a good manager? Um, I think that's, you know, a lot of times that leaders eat last philosophy by Simon Sinek is like, making sure your team has the clarity and expectations, the tools they need to feel successful, um, psychological safety, which means, you know, feeling comfortable to take risks or try things, knowing that you're not going to be blamed if it goes, if it goes wrong, but that you kind of create that growth mindset on a team. Um, and I think it's someone that builds trust and, and takes time to invest in a relationship. And you can actually do all of those things without having had training. Like you can build a relationship with your team members by sitting down with them and talking to them and asking, Hey, how do you like to work? Or, you know, how do you like to get feedback? Or if we have to have our hard conversation, what is, you know, how do you want that to go? Do you want to know what's coming? Or we to tell you all at once, we send you an email. So really by focusing on building a relationship and then bringing in again, like clarity and expectations, making sure there's really defined roles and responsibilities, making sure folks understand what success looks like. All of those things really point to a good manager. Um, I think on the other hand, a bad manager is someone that's um, like 
potentially wanting everyone to do things exactly as they would, right? And that can become micromanaging or just saying like, you know, everybody's wrong when it's not my way or kind of thinking there's only one way to do something. Um, micromanaging, like being in all the details and always checking in and not demonstrating that you trust your team members to, to do things on their own. I think a bad manager kind of has that inconsistency where one day everything's great, one day the next, you know, everyone's wrong and dumb and it's their fault. There's a little blaming. So it's kind of the opposite of those things. And like you said, I think we've all had a manager that does the good things and probably more managers did the bad things. And because of that, I think a lot of people are afraid to be managers because we're like, well, I've had so many bad experiences. I don't want to be doing that. And then that creates, that kind of takes people out of the running that are actually pretty, could have been really good at it. Tell me if this makes sense. Like, I think what happened, from the outside, and I don't have no data on this at all, but over, you know, my career of placing people, you know, in executive search, it seems like managers are not necessarily trained. Like you'll have somebody who is, let's say, a rock star stockbroker or or wealth manager or investment banker or you know, fill in the blank, right? And and they because they're doing so well, now you're promote promoted to be a manager. Like, oh, okay, I'm manager now with the idea then the next I'll go a higher manager and keep going up the yeah. corporate ladder. But then they're not trained to do it. And like, they don't have the ability to be a good manager because they're a good salesperson, let's say. But yeah. now you're a manager and you're not, you're, your skills are all offline, right? Like, so then totally. it doesn't work for both. Yeah. It's a totally different job, right? right? Like, you know, and I think, it, and that's what I see the most. I mean, I think some companies have some, you know, video trainings for managers, whatever, like very lightweight. But I mean, a lot of the work that I do it, with, with corporate teams is doing manager trainings, really getting the fundamentals, practicing, doing exercises on how to give feedback, coaching managers, doing group coaching. I do a ton of work on manager development because like you say, a lot of companies don't really have anything or you're asking people to like, yeah, do a video tutorial by yourself at your own free time. You know, like nobody's going to yeah. do that. Right. Yeah. And so they're not getting the support. Like, like at Google, right. For instance, did they have programs where if someone was started out as an individual contributor and doing really well and moves into management, would they have a whole program to help teach that person to be a manager or no, they just say, just jump into it and figure it out yourself. Yeah. So at Google, they had a course for new managers. Like I think it was like a two day training, um, which was really good. I, and Just so, two days. Yeah, I know. It wasn't enough, but it was like they had a two day training. I oh think there was, one, there was a lot of self-serve content, but actually within Google and one of the teams on the yeah. AR team, I built a year long program and facilitated like developing trainings and content based on really what are the fundamentals of, of good management, coaching and feedback and influence and you know, because you still need, I think no matter what your team has, you're going to need more things to supplement it. And managers, I think at, at Google and a lot, of, I think the big tech companies where they have the programs like BetterUp or Lira or things like that, you also, some of them give benefits of getting a one-on-one -on -one coach, which is also really, really helpful. Because as a manager, you, you may need to bounce some ideas off someone like, is this situation okay? Is it, you know, am I acting right in the situation where it's not you go into your direct manager where that person has skin in the game. We need an objective perspective to kind of wrestle with some of these things. It was so surprising like that Google would just have, and I'm not knocking, I'm not you know, being anti-Google, 
But I would have thought you would have this like very involved program to lead into it. And I think that's to my, you know, my thinking, that's maybe one of the big issues. So if Google is not doing a lot, then, you know, a lot of other firms that are not as great or don't have the budgets, I imagine they're not even doing anything. And that could be one of the big reasons why people get frustrated with managers, because they put you into this role and you're not trained to do it. And now you got to be, just take on a whole new job and you don't know what you're doing. You literally don't know what yeah. you're doing. And you're, yeah, and, well, and you're just working on the fly, which exactly. cause chaos. And it's interesting because, you know, I worked in team operations mm -hmm. and, you know, there was often like, well, why are you doing manager development? Why are you doing management? Mm -hmm. Because actually it's often because of manager skill gaps that create operational inefficiencies, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're not, if you as a manager yeah. don't know how to delegate, you're going to be making it very confusing for like who does what you're going to be in the weeds too much. You're going to create all these bottlenecks that actually slow your team down. So I see training managers and having, you know, being able to do more with less and having an efficient organization actually go hand in hand. And I, I would say, uh, yeah, the, the training, um, that sort of basic training they had at Google was yeah. that two day, but they actually did have a quite, quite a bit of infrastructure. And I think, um, I think, you know, I have seen across other large organizations having some things, but what I don't always see is ongoing because, Hey, you could be a manager 10 years and something's going to come up and it's, you can't, there's like, yeah. what happens then COVID, right? What happens multi, you know, more generations in the workforce, all this uncertainty with layoffs and with reorgs. So I think what I rarely see companies have, which I strongly encourage them is ongoing training, not just mm -hmm. for managers but like sort of situations that will come up because to, to be honest, you know, most, the worst managers do not attend trainings. They opt out. They think they're good, right? It's like the ones that are hungry to learn, that's who shows up. Yeah. And I see it. I saw it when I worked on this stuff internally, I see it as a consultant, like in the training, everyone seems really like awesome and they're super eager to implement. And then you look around, you're like, oh, that's because all the managers that are really kind of absent, not interested, they just didn't show up. <laughs> so we need to bring more of that into the fold too. Uh, can I run some of these things by, this is what this is what I've seen over the years, you know, no particular order. A lot of times, so you're, you're a manager and you, you maybe got that promotion and now it's really super awkward because you know, you were with your peers, you go out drinking, yep. you'd hang out together, <laughs> get lunch together. Now it's become you, the manager, Leah, versus your former peers that you all got along with. And now you have this really weird dynamic where, oh, you're too good. Like, you know what I mean? Like where yep. <laughs> it's this real this tension where you used to be everyone used to be really great together. And now you're the manager. Maybe there's a little envy from other people. Maybe yeah. you're still just trying to figure out like how to do the job. And maybe you don't do it as well, but you're not doing it purposefully to hurt somebody. Yeah. So then you start having this weird dynamics, right? Yeah. And, and then do you also find out, I've seen that sometimes people want to leave because they're like, how come Jack got that job? I'm better yeah. than Jack. So I'm going to look, screw him. And and then it gets this negative, like snowball effect yeah. where people are disengaged, not productive. Is that is that a real, like, have you oh, seen yeah. that too? <laughs> so this is one of the number one things that yeah. I coach folks on, managers oh. on is like how to navigate this transition from being a peer or friends to the, to the manager. 
And this also can happen with small business owners where you hired your friend or your cousin or something like that. Like that's a whole. And I think the first place we go wrong as managers is we're like, hey, nothing's different. Nothing's weird. It's all the same. We have the same relationship, except for now I'm in charge of your salary and career. And that's the biggest misstep. Yeah. What we should do instead is actually totally acknowledge like this is different now. We have a new relationship. We have a new hierarchy differential. We have a new power dynamic. Let's talk about how this relationship looks and how it maybe looks different than what our friendship is. If you have a friendship outside, a lot of times we avoid that. We just want to like sweep it under the rug and mm -hmm. say, let's just, you know, get to work. And then people quickly find my team doesn't respect me. They're not listening to me. Um, they still go to the previous boss. So they go around you. And that, these are the things that I see come up so much. And what I share with folks when I'm coaching them, or we're kind of working through this topic as a team is you have to have that conversation. You have to have a reset and say like, okay, let's call it. It's a little bit weird. And I, you know, here's my style as a manager. Here's how I want to support you. And here's what I ask of you. And to not go too soft. I have had a lot of clients say, you know, like you said, like, I feel imposter syndrome. I feel like I don't want people to think I'm better than them. So I'm just like, Hey, you know, I'm no better than you guys. I don't know why I got picked for this. Right. And you like diminish all your authority and your team is like, yeah, why, why did they get picked? They're not even able to like run this thing. So you actually do want to establish some confidence, you know, even if it's fake until you make it because you because you are in this position, your team is going to want you to be able to step up and know that like, mm -hmm. yeah, you can carry the team. So that happens through that conversation and saying, you know, Hey, I'm really excited about this opportunity. I'm here to support you. Here's what I can do. And here's what I ask of you. So is that done in like a one-on-one -on -one where you, you'll set yeah. a program, like every day you're going to meet with another person on the team and have that one-on-one -on -one. and it could be a difficult conversation, but you have to yeah. have that conversation. Yeah. I would say, yeah, it's, I think it's, really helpful to do that in one-on-one -on -one conversations. Um, if, you know, let's say to you and another person were like gunning for the role to name that and say, Hey, Hey Jack, you know, I know that you and I worked really closely together. I know this might feel weird and I am here to help you reach the goals that you have for yourself and your career. So like you even naming those things. So they know you're not just like, screw you, Jack, yeah. I got it. You're out. Right. I, I think that's, and I had this situation um, at Microsoft I was, um, I had a manager, they left and I was running the team in the interim. And then I got someone put, you know, layered, right. Someone put to of me and I was really disappointed. Mm -hmm. I was like, that should have been me. Why did I get passed up? I was so frustrated. And I met with the new manager and he said, Hey, I know this is really frustrating. I know you were doing the job already. And it's kind of just how it worked out. I, I didn't realize I'd be put in this situation. And I'm just going to commit to you right now that everything I do is going to be helping elevate you and, and just like unblock you. And he showed up and he did that. And under him, I got promoted. I had autonomy to really run the team the way that I wanted to. Um, he was completely just like out of the way and only was there to help bounce off ideas and support me. And, and it showed me that you can take a situation like being layered, which is really frustrating and can be demoralizing where I thought about quitting because mm -hmm. I was like, Hey, they didn't recognize me. And it turned around. And I think that's something you can do too, by having that conversation and then like walking the talk. Now, what happens if you have that one-on-one -on -one and you could tell that person has a lot of animosity yeah. because they felt, Hey, I should get it. Do you, like, 
what do you do? Like, because now you have an enemy in the ranks, right? Like you have yeah. somebody who's trying to sabotage you. We've seen this. We've all seen yeah. this, you know, everyone watching here where you get ticked off with your manager and then you start like, bip, 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 you know, rumor, yeah. gossiping, complaining, yeah. and then you kind of poison the well. Then everyone else starts thinking, oh yeah, Jack did say that to me too. Ah, yeah. and then it becomes this really toxic environment. Would do, do you sometimes have to the person who you were buddies with and your peers to kind of almost give an ultimatum. Hey, if you're going to, you know, try to hurt me in my new, you know, management role, we're going to have to do something. I mean, do you have to have that hard yeah. conversation? I think so. And I would say it's two parts. I think it's having that conversation mm -hmm. with the person that's kind of poisoning the well. Right. And at the same time, really showing up and getting rolling up your sleeves and being in it with the rest of the team mm. because i think the best way to kind of quiet some of that chatter is by being the opposite of it is by the rest of the team saying like actually that's not what leah's doing like she's actually right. really involved in this or she's she's showing up for me or she has helped me with this thing and so i think um and this is also advice i have for new managers is um to earn respect quickly you know i think you can't make people respect you. A lot yeah. of people are how can I make my team? It's like, no, 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 no one's gonna respect you just because you told them to, right? Of course not. But you earn it by getting in it with people. You know, if there's, um, if you're in the office, showing up, not being the one person that's dialing in remotely, being there with them by, you know, sitting down with them and asking, hey, you know, show me where are some of the places that you get stuck with your work or what's your favorite part or really like taking that time and learning about the work, the workflows, where, you know, how, how they approach things. Um, one time at, at Google, I had to manage an engineer and I have a program management background. And I was like, well, and he looked at me like, what the hell are you gonna do for me? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and it was really awkward. And I felt mm -hmm. at first like, oh, this was a terrible situation. And he did too. He was like, this is like, you know, not going to help me. It's been a wasted year, however long we've manager. And I sat down with him. I said, Hey, you know, I know it's weird. Like I, I'm not an engineer and I know I can't support you in, you know, growing on a technical capacity, but here's where I can really support you. I can help you wrestle with some of the, you know, dynamics you're trying to do around influencing people. I can help carve out time for you with your projects to be able to work on, you know, professional development. I can do these things. And we ended up building a really close relationship because I didn't write it off. Like, well, the engineer's not going to like me. Mm -hmm. So who cares? And it was a real learning of taking a situation I was dreading, honestly, because <laughs> I felt like, yeah. well, he's, you know, this is, why am I this? And I was like frustrated about the, all my team members had different kinds of roles and it was weird. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to actually approach this by rolling my sleeves, asking about his work, having him teach me stuff and not overburdening him with it, but like, Hey, show me something that's really exciting. And and he started to do that. And I actually learned a ton about it. And I could actually help him solve problems by the end of the relationship. That's great. I mean, do you also think sometimes with managers, they get a bad rap because they're just stuck? You know, yeah. if you're like a middle manager and you really don't have a lot of power and influence to change big decisions, it's awkward because then your team is pushing you, hey, we, how come we can't get more funding or how come we can't do this? Yeah. And you don't have the clout with the higher ups. So you're just stuck. And yeah. is that kind of one of these? And I don't know if I'm really presenting in the right way, but that kind of vibe, is that what happens to a lot of managers? Why they get a bad reputation and why workers don't you know, like them? Yeah. Because 
is not their fault. They just don't have the power. They don't have the levers to push. Yeah. And you're just stuck. Yeah. And I did a lot of training with this during COVID because people Uh had so many questions and no one had answers. And then I've done, I think a couple episodes on my podcast, Managing Made Simple about, you know, what do you do when you don't have information? How do you still Mm -hmm. connect your team? And I think one place we can go wrong is we don't know. So we go silent and we don't answer questions and we say, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I will come back when I know something. Right. And and that looks like you don't know anything. That, like literally, and it frustrates your team. And they think like, well, what's going on? People make assumptions. They must not be talking to us because it's really bad. They're planning layoffs. So instead, I think what's really effective, and I've seen really I, I, managers that were highly respected take this approach, which is saying, here's what I know. Here's what I'm hoping to find out. Here's what I'm doing to find out. Right. So like, let's say people are asking, is there a reorg coming up? You know, we've heard all this chatter and you say, Hey, no, I can't say with certainty there's, you know, any of this right now, but, um, here's what I know. Like, these are the priorities of the team or the company. This is really, those aren't changing. And, you know, these are the forms that I'm plugged into. So maybe there's a weekly, you know, meeting with the stakeholders or whatever. And I'm going to, I will keep you informed as I learn more. And saying that you still didn't tell Mm -hmm. them anything. Right, you didn't <laughs> but you said you're going to be there yeah. working on it yeah. instead of just going silent mm-hmm. and it's like it makes such a difference that hey i am you know i'm working on figuring this out um i think another thing i have seen managers do is say don't worry there won't be layoffs there won't be reorgs nobody should ever say anything with full certainty about any of this stuff we have no idea and now, and I know you talked about this on the live yesterday. Now they're like, watch out. There's going to be layoffs. I don't think you should do the full other way. But I think what you can do instead as a manager is say, there's so much uncertainty. I can't make promises. But here's how I can support you in developing yourself professionally so that you have your, you build confidence in your skills and yourself, whether it's this job or the next one. And that's what I think has been really game changing for managers that help a person look at their career as, or their job, like as a career trajectory, not just this job, it actually creates more loyalty, ironically, because, you know, you feel like someone's investing in you. Um, and so like just knowing, yeah. okay, this manager is going to help me build my public speaking skills, my presentations, skills, my technical skills, all these things that set me up for success. If there were to be a layoff or I had to get back out there. So, so you bring up two things that I want to impact. One is that it feels like for a manager, maybe if let's say you're my manager, you come up to me right from the right from the beginning, you know, you, you just started first week or so to say, hey Jack, what are your aspirations? What do you want to achieve? What do you want to do? What's important to you? You know, kind of really just ask a lot of questions. Yeah. So then you could understand what's gonna get me motivated, what's gonna make me productive what would be something that wouldn't make me productive. That seems like it would make a lot of sense to right from the get-go, just yeah. just, just kind of ask and try to get that feedback so you know, first of all, then they'll appreciate that they're asking yeah. and they care. Right. And then yeah. you know as a manager what to do to help get me motivated and get up and running. Yeah. And that sounds like a good way when you're asking, how do you get like respect right away? Because yeah. I would respect you if you, you know, right away were asking me, how can I help you? How can I, you know, yeah. make you improve your career and so forth? So yeah. that's, that's good. The second thing 
And this is what I think it's on everybody's mind now. You know, we had 2022, going 2023, these massive 10,000 layoffs at a clip. Then coming into this year, the vibe was like, oh, it's going to be better things. And we're seeing, we're not, we're still seeing, we're not seeing huge layoffs, but we're definitely seeing these like small nonstop from like from Macy's to Wayfair to Google to Amazon across the board. And I think that's another issue with managers where people look to your manager and say, oh my God, what to do? And then they're freaked out because they're not getting answers. Yeah. And I know it's not a fair question to ask, but what do you do? Like when you know we're in a vibe now where for white collar, mid-level senior people, that's where they're cutting because they feel AI can maybe take over or they want to cut costs. So how do managers like navigate? Because that's really tough stuff and people yeah. lose their jobs. It's brutal. Yeah. Do they have any power, anything they can do to like make it better? I mean, I not not from what I've seen. I don't, mm. I think like a middle manager, like you say, has yeah. no insight into, you know, who's being laid off, especially, you know, if it's happening at senior levels. I think um, because of there's confidentiality and, you know, publicly traded companies, I think there's very, very few people that have insight, you know, like, so I think, what what I would say is managers just have to do the thing that I just pointed to, which is like, say in the moment, here's how I'm going to support you. Like, I'm going to help you, you know, feel like you got what you could, the best things that you could get mm -hmm. out of this role while you were here. Um, and I think um, helping instill confidence in your team members and helping them develop sort of more well-rounded skill sets and helping, you know, giving them feedback and helping them be their best is really the only thing you can do to set them up for the next thing. Um, because, you know, I, I think we, what the layoffs of last year showed, the mass ones were a lot of high performers, a lot of folks that have been there 10, 15 years. Yeah. In these companies. So it wasn't about loyalty, it was about performance. So now you're like whole kind of like put my head down, do good work thing was rocked. And I think that's why it was called the great betrayal in many cases of like, oh, wow, mm -hmm. everything I believed about loyalty has just been shattered. And I mean, we could do a whole other live on, you know, team morale, which you talked a lot about yesterday. Right. Um, and that's another thing managers dealing with is like this, like rock bottom morale and engagement because everyone's like, well, you know, what the hell? Like tomorrow I might not have a job. I might like go on see, my ECM right? and I don't have a yeah. job anymore. See, and that's it? the whole thing, right? Like it's awkward spot because if you're that manager and you're not like a senior level, you're not privy to what's really going to happen. They're looking to you, but you have no idea. Yeah. Then they get angry at you as the manager because like, I want to know, do I have a job tomorrow? I have a job next yeah. week. Yeah. You know, we just bought a new home or we just have a new right. kid or whatever. And and oh gosh, see, that's where I think it just gets really ugly where they don't have answers and it's not their fault. And it's just, everyone's yeah. angry with each other. Exactly. And that's why it is such a hard role to be a manager. Mm. I mean, like we said at the beginning, you're getting pressure from your leadership chain, from your employees. You probably have very limited information and you're navigating the same things your teams are. Yeah. You have your own manager that you're dealing with. You have your own stresses, your own things. And, and a lot of managers... Um, I think burnout is one of the highest is on for managers. I think that's where burnout is kind of the highest rate right now, because it's, you have such a kind of cognitive load of pressure of things that you're having to deal with. And then everyone asking you about things and you're supposed to 
keep people motivated when you're not motivated because you're also worried about your own job. Right. right. So um, I think the kind of acknowledging that. And if you folks listening that are managing managers, recognizing that it's a really tough spot to be in. And so are there ways you can invest in supporting them, whether it's through coaching or development or, um, you know, setting up even, you know, peer groups is really effective. Like, Hey, having, um, you know, setting up, Hey, every month we're going to have, you know, peer groups that talk about topics. So people have a little bit of a support system. That was a really effective strategy I've done with, um, with teams on setting mm -hmm. up kind of manager communities or circles, giving them a topic, they can build rapport and, and community internally and have somebody else they can wrestle with these things with. Because I think the other thing is whenever we're feeling stuck, we typically, whatever it is, think we're the only one going through it. We're the only one that's in, like, actually with this manager thing, every manager is feeling most of the things we're talking about. All right. Uh, I don't mind if people hate me, so I'll be the one to kind of bring these things up. So I, I, the feedback I've, I've always seen over the years is this kind of stuff. The manager is like a micromanager and yeah. that drives people crazy where, you know, the boss is constantly looking over your shoulder, looking at everything they do. Let's say you write a memo. They look at the memo, they cross it all out, blah, 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 blah. And basically they don't make any changes, but it's yeah. just like, they're doing it just to just, I don't know. It's like, they can't help themselves but to just oversee every little move you make, every little yeah. thing you do. Then you have the managers who, as opposed to what you mentioned earlier, like show up, be in there early, stay late, do everything to show like you're, you're, you're there. They do the opposite. You know, they're out for an hour and a half lunch. They come in late, they leave early and they figure, oh, I'm a manager. So uh, yeah, I could do that. And that yeah. irritates the hell out of people. It drives them crazy. Also, they play favorites, like, all right, you'll have your little friends that you give all the cool projects to, and then the ones you're not, they don't get it, so they're isolated. You don't have empathy for people. Hey, they have small children, and no, you can't, you know, come in late because you have to bring your kids to school. Too bad. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you can't, nope, you can't go home and see your kids' ballet or t-ball game or whatever it is, and it's, and it's it's like, why are you doing that? You're just really alienating your whole team and driving them crazy. Yeah. I mean, is that yeah. also like a big thing that happens that just is just, it's like unforced errors. Like why are you, why are you putting in during the pandemic? They were doing that a lot too, where you're putting in all these invasive technologies to spyware on, you know, yeah. to spy on your, on your, on your workers to see what they're doing, yeah. which like, how do you trust somebody who's spying on you and right. checking your keystrokes? Yeah. Well, and it goes back to like, those tools are like a replacement for just building trust and relationship mm -hmm. with your team members and building a sense of, Hey, we want to bring that ownership mindset and creating accountability. Yeah. Like all of these monitoring things are the lazy way because you haven't done the real work to, to figure out how to, you know, create that bi-directional trust with your team. And I think, you know, you mentioned a few things with the micromanaging um, yeah, I've had that line editing and email that's being sent to two people in our internal team, like spending hours. It's like, oh right. my gosh. And I think what it shows is a lack of confidence in that manager. Now, mm. if, you're, if you're being micromanaged, you don't realize like it's them, not me. But, but you know, I think too, um, this is why things like manager feedback and manager performance reviews are really important. 
because a lot of times no one, there's no channel to give your manager feedback and there's no channel to get that person support if they're terrible at it. And like I said, they're opting out of training. So like, how are they getting, um, and it can be tricky. I think a lot of times people are not forthcoming with their manager performance review because they're worried there'll be retaliation. So just like naming that, um, I think you need to do that in a number of ways to kind of get the feedback. But again, folks listening that are managing managers, holding those managers accountable to not doing these bad behaviors like micromanaging or being completely absent or helicopter managing or playing favorites or retaliating, whatever these things are, I know they're nuanced, but we have to be holding our managers accountable because it just fuels this vicious cycle that you talked about. And um, I think a lot of times managers act this way because there is no accountability. Because if you deliver great results in your team, because you have a great set of individual contributors and you're a mean, absent, you know, terrible manager, there's like no fallout for you. You actually look like you're crushing it because of your mm. team. And that creates even more resentment. And I think all of us have probably left a team at one point being like, I don't want to be putting in all my work for this person to be benefiting. Who's like making my life miserable. All right. Speaking of that, there are a couple of things <laughs> right I've noticed. I think anybody who's watching this now has gone through this where the process of interviewing lately, you're going to three, four, five, six, ten yeah. interviews, no exaggeration over the course of six months. And then it's like hiring by consensus. Like you have to get everybody to agree. And I think that's a poor management decision because they're afraid. They don't want to admit it, but they're afraid to make that call. Yeah. If, if they were confident and I think Lee is good, I'm going to hire her. You're going to do it. But because they're not confident enough, well, uh, Lee is good, but I'm going to interview Jack. Oh, Jack is good, but I'm going to you know interview Christine and I'm going to do the bup, 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 yeah. and keep going and it never ends. So yeah. now the people on your team are angry because maybe someone had left, you know, through attrition or whatever. There's more work to do. And like, would you freaking hire already? Make yeah. a decision yeah. and you can't make a decision. And it just drives every, it, it yeah. drives the candidates crazy. It drives all the other people involved with the yeah. process crazy. And it's, and it's just a really bad environment. And that I think also pushes people out because you're like, this is ridiculous. You know, this yeah. is going to be, you know, ridiculous. they're not going to fill this spot. I'm going to do the extra work. Screw it. I'm going to start looking for another job. Yeah, absolutely. I see that all the time. And I think some of the work that I do with teams is like defining, you know, upfront, mm -hmm. what do we want in that role? What are the interview questions? How do we all get aligned? How do we make the decision faster? Because like you say, someone's doing that job or you either have a team that's completely not shielded from all these things happening. Maybe other teams are asking them to do more work. I think this is the case in like kind of engineering and design kind of roles. Like other people will just start assigning work to people, right? If they don't have that manager. Um, and then, yeah, you're going to lose great candidates because they're, they went with the team that was faster. And this was a really big issue during kind of like the, you know, hiring arms race mm. before the pandemic and the early pandemic. And I think um, teams, you know, that are right now that have hiring freezes, you're really overburdening folks on like, hey, you know, we don't have backfills. What you need to do is have conversations about load balancing, not just piling more work on people because that is resulting people leaving or just getting, you know, all projects at like a lower level of good, you know, quality. So um, when you're going to have roles that you can't backfill, um, really creating a plan for how is that work going to get done? It's not just someone does two jobs now for the price of one. No, that's not going to work. And um, maybe they'll do that for three months. But if you have to have someone do that, what I like to do is 
go to that person, say, let's load balance. You're going to, I need you to fill this to these two things for three months. Here's my plan to get coverage. We'll revisit this at the end of this time frame. like time box it. And then you'll see somebody has a little bit more comfort stepping up and taking that on. If it's like indefinitely, it's not going to work. That's so smart. So what do you call it? Load balancing? Is that, I didn't, yeah. know, I didn't know that term. Load balancing? Yeah, load balancing. Like, hey, I have all these tasks and projects. Yeah. Here's a set of new ones. What's more important? What's higher priority? Um, and then if there's stuff lower, you're kind of waiting on that or giving that to somebody else, but making sure you're not just handing someone two jobs where they don't really know the priority. They're probably working on the wrong thing, the thing that has the biggest fire to put out. And then they're overloaded and, and they're frustrated, right? Like yeah. <laughs> when we when people are clear on priorities, there's some magic thing that they always work on the wrong thing, right? <laughs> you, you, you're oh. so right. Because like what I what I hear all the time from people is that, you know, let's say someone leaves, let's say just just got a way better job, right? And then you're not finding anybody to fill it, then they, the people who are still remaining there freak out because they're like, I know what's going to happen. You're going to dump all that extra work, but you're not going to pay me anymore. Yeah. So like, why? Like, that's not fair. And now you're unhappy and now you're going to start looking for a job. So it yeah. becomes a really bad situation. But what you're saying with load bearing is like, okay, I know this is what's happening. We're going to put, we're going to post a job. We're going to do everything we can. In the meantime, here's what we're going to do. So you, once again, as you mentioned before, kind of you want to reach out to them and walk them through and explain what you're doing and how to make this work and, and how you're trying to make the best of a situation. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, again, that's why I say being a good manager is an operational efficiency. Yeah. And that's why I pair my consulting works about manager development and operational efficiencies because they do go together. Because if you're not able to have that conversation or realize like what's the bigger picture, which is a manager skill gap, you're not going to be able to do that load balancing. You're not going to be able to really have a sense of um, what is a priority or something over something else. You're not going to be able to, you know, help that person delegate things they don't need to be doing. And so it ends up, you know, I think, again, I, I look at, you know, doing more with less is like the theme of whatever is going to be the next few years. It has been the next the last few and the way to do more with less to get more out of people without burning them out is to make it easier to get work done. So all the work I do with teams is about how can we simplify and make things more clear. And so load balancing is one of those things. Um, you know, also having it really clear, um, like what the status of work is. Another thing that can happen on teams is someone leaves abruptly and you're screwed. You have no idea like mm -hmm. wh where their work was at, what they were working on, if yeah. it's done. And that's something that gets totally preventable. We should always have a sense of where to find active work, what the status is, where it's at. And if you don't have that, um, introducing a really lightweight system, I think there's two criteria I always recommend, which is overall status and capacity. So where is a project at and how much time do people have for more work? If you can just track those things, you get like 90% of the information you need to understand kind of what's going on in your team. What do you think about this? Like for, for a while, it seemed, particularly with the tech companies, big tech companies, they would have managers who would just hire like crazy, especially when you had, you know, free money, yeah. basically, when you turn yeah. back the clock where, you know, you didn't have the high interest rates and high inflation. So you could kind of borrow money pretty cheaply and they would just keep hiring. And to me, it almost seemed as if they wanted to build a fiefdom, you know, we're like, you know, I'm the manager and now I'm got a big shot manager managing five, 10, 20, 50, hundred people. Look how important I am. 
Yeah. And yet are they're not productive and whatever. It's just your ego. Is that, am I, well, is it, am I, I wrong? Is yeah. that a thing? Did that happen? Am I just imagining this? Or? <laughs> I think it happened in some respects. I mean, I think yeah, there's yeah. a really clear path inside mm -hmm. large companies. If you're a manager of right. growing your team and having this, and you kind of see it growing. And so you're rewarded for hiring more people. Mm -hmm. and so that can create a disincentive of like, or a misaligned incentive of yeah. growing quickly, even if you don't clear it on who's doing what, um, even if projects aren't starting or, or aren't totally baked, like a lot of times, you know, to, for a project to be confirmed, it maybe takes several months to get approvals in a big company, right? There's all these hurdles to go through. So you're hiring up and then maybe project doesn't happen or it's scoped down or something else. And you have built this team based on the incentive of like having a large team under you. And I've seen in every large company I've worked at or worked with as a consultant, um, there's, like you are more, the, the career path is much clearer as a manager. Um, I know in, in tech companies, you know, being like a distinguished engineer or a technical fellow, there's like five of them in the company, right? There's not, which is like an individual contributor. That's like, you know, at the top of the top and there's thousands of managers, right? Wait, what is that? Cause, cause yeah. I, I've, 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 I've spoken, I've interviewed some distinguished engineers and like, I don't even understand what the heck that is. Yeah. What, what is what, it's what like it, a way to give a senior title to an uh, individual contributor, basically. Because they didn't want to go and be a manager, but they're yeah. like really smart, really capable, yeah. doing a lot of work. So they give yeah. that kind of title. Okay. Yeah. And I, a technical fellow is another that I've seen mm -hmm. used. And it's funny because there's, you know, there's not a lot of them, but you'll have, you know, hundreds of VPs or directors, right? <laughs> so you... It's just the, the path is more clear. And so again, it, it pushes people into management maybe that didn't want to be or felt like, well, if I want to grow here, I got to do that. Because it, it, I mean, I've seen, it kind of looks like, well, what's wrong with you if you don't want to be a manager in some of these cases? Well, what do you think for somebody who's like starting out and building a career? Should they say, hey, let's say, and they want to be with a big company um, or even a startup, you know, that could kind of scale. Would you advise them, hey, go that track, be, you know, be, you know, an individual, individual contributor, then a manager, and then maybe a senior manager and go up? Or if you're really just good at what you're doing, just, just focus on that and try to make as much money as you can doing what you're good at. I mean, I think it depends on what, what the, you know, incentives are within that yeah. specific company, because I think right now, from what I've seen, most of the time you're incentivized to be a manager. So I don't want to say, no, just do the IC work and crush it because I have seen that work against people. And mm. um, I have- now, why, why would it work against? Because like you're just one out of a whole many. So like they could easily get rid of you. Is that one of the reasons? I think or? because you're able to sort of point to more impact when uh -huh. you have more people that you're overseeing, basically. Mm. You know, and so it's like an easier case to be made of, you know, my team delivered this and this and this and this instead of I did this one thing. So I think it's partially that, that you um, just have more sort of things you can say you're responsible for in a sense. Um, but yeah, I think, I think more should be done within companies large and small to, you know, have, have a track for folks that don't want to be a manager and have that be all the way to the most senior levels, because you, I think it would really reduce the problem of having people become managers for the wrong reason. Like, of course it would. Right. And so um, it's gotta be equitable of like, Hey, you have these two mm -hmm. tracks, you know, it doesn't work against you. I think some big companies have, 
if you're a manager, you are a manager and you do some of your own individual contributor work. Um, some companies have, if you're a manager, you're just managing people, you just do that, which I think also can become problematic because maybe you have a disconnect from the day to day. Um, so every company is very different with how it handles these models. It's it's the more we talk about it, it's not an easy job, right? No. It's right. Yeah. It's not. It's a hard yeah. job, and it's it's like and all fingers get pointed to you, the manager, right? Like no matter, yeah. you know, if things go well, they're like, well, they should because that's how it's supposed to go. But if they go yeah. bad, it's your fault as the manager, right? It's 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 yeah. it's it's rough. It's a yeah. really rough thing. And you want people to? I was consulting with a. Um, a company there's about 40 people and so they had three or four managers and um one of the managers was struggling and and you know when work wouldn't get done she'd be like i don't know the team didn't do it and we're like what? like that's not <laughs> you're the manager like that's not okay yeah. and you see the opposite like when someone doesn't take that responsibility it's like weird like oh no now we know like you're part of the problem of like you're not creating accountability and i think it is that double-edged sword that a manager should feel accountable for their team even if it's not their fault, the work didn't get done. But I think that's another sign of a bad manager for your first question in our conversation is like someone that's like, well, too bad. My team's not doing it. Like you holding people accountable in a way that helps bring out their best and create this ownership mindset is I think one of the most important things you can do. Now you mentioned small businesses and, and yeah. I think small businesses are like the biggest sector in the business sector. You know, when, when you really yeah. look at the amount of people working for small businesses, there's more there than hard to believe than these big companies. So if you're a manager, quote unquote manager at a small company, are you really a manager or you're like, you're juggling five jobs and then how do you manage people? And if it's a yeah. small company and that, well, is that even harder? It's, it's funny because I say, you know, I, I do work with large companies that do manager trainings and, mm -hmm. and, manager development. I do feedback trainings, all things in the big companies. And I do similar things in small companies, training folks on first that they are a manager. Like if you're a business owner and you've hired folks, you're a manager. So mm -hmm. there's an identity shift there of like, okay, well, that means we have to have feedback conversations. We have to make sure people understand their career path. We have to set expectations. And so the work I do with small businesses around kind of setting up and streamlining their team operations, manager training is a huge piece of that because of what we're talking about here. And you can't, um, if your teams really don't understand what's expected of them, which is, a, is, you know, something that the manager establishes, how do they know if they're done, when to ask you for approval, when, you know, this thing can move down the pipe to this next phase, you know, it becomes mm -hmm. a huge bottlenecks. And I think a lot of times in smaller businesses, that business owner becomes the bottleneck because they're used to just seeing everything, looking at everything. And then in delegating becomes one of the biggest hurdles that I help people work through. Um, and when you can be effective delegating in a large or small company, um, you show your team member, you trust them, you're building your bench of leaders, right? You're maximizing your own time. Mm -hmm. So you can focus on the right things. You're helping, you know, your team members grow. Um, you're, you're just delegating is one of the most important skills that I think is the most kind of under, underdeveloped in, in many of these cases. Do you think with remote work, you know, you have remote work and, and obviously there's been this big push to get back into the office. Do you think a, a lot of the reason behind managers pushing to get back into the office because it's easier if everyone's in one place and you don't have to worry about 
hybrid remote and everything going on. And you could just walk the, you know, walk around the hallway and see what's going on. And selfishly for the managers, their life is easier. Is that, or is that something or not? I mean, it's just like the most controversial topic of the world. And, and there are yeah. I mean, I think there is so much value in being in person. Mm. All the, the best work I've done, the most cohesive teams, the most, you know, delivering results against all odds has always been in person. Mm. And I, I also think there's so much benefit to hybrid and remote, right? Like, you know, you can live anywhere, you can have more time with the family. So I think it's a tough one, but I think there the the culture that you can create from having some in-person time, the trust that's built from seeing someone face to face. Um, you know, I'm even encouraging, I, I work with a um a team that uh has a med spa and you know some of the team members are in person and some are hmm. calling remote. I said, when you have a weird text or email chain, go in person and talk to that person. You have a you have a facility, don't let that thing spiral. And I think what happens with when we don't make the time, even hopping on Zoom with someone is, is, is better than nothing. And we're like just deferring to these asynchronous communications only. Um, we don't feel personally connected to our teams, right? So I think to your question of, I think it does make it easier to manage because it's sort of, it's contained. I think um, it makes it sort of easier to have a pulse on everything, easier to read body language. Um, and so I don't think it's necessarily out of selfish reason. I think from interpersonal communication, it makes it, you know, you just have more data to, to pull from. So, um, but I don't think it means we should force people back into the office or require, I should say, you know, uh, whatever, you know, five days or, you know, whatever configuration. I think um, more needs to be done though, to build trust and build and figure out, you know, how do we keep people on the same page? So um, when working with teams, I, we sit down and establish working norms around communication, around having your chat open, around meeting availability, mm -hmm. around when you check your email. So you don't get someone's like, oh yeah, I was just like, didn't see it all day. I missed four meetings, 18 chats. And it's like, hey, if you were in the office, you wouldn't be able to do that, yeah. right? I think having your camera on, setting norms around that, like by default is important, right? Where you don't have you know, a tile of video off and you're like, is anybody even behind that? Like, I have no idea, <laughs> you know, I think in these things, there's, there's, there's accommodations that can be made and there's different, you know, it's not a one size fits all, but I really encourage teams to have these conversations around remote working norms so that they can bridge some of that gap that's facilitated mm -hmm. by being a person. I love this. I, I think this was great, Leah. Thank you. Because Thank you. It's, it's one of these areas where as we were speaking at the top of the conversation that like people just, it's, it's just, it's this built-in animosity towards managers and what I like, just, just throw all the dirt on them. It's all their fault. <laughs> but like, I think it's much more from this conversation, it's much more nuanced, right? Yeah. It's much more involved. Yeah. It's not, it's not that, you know, it's not so simple. You know, there's yeah. a lot of work that goes into becoming a manager, what to do and a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, especially nowadays. So I think, I think this opened up the eyes for people. And I think for people who are managers, they're feeling, ah, somebody, <laughs> they're all happy. Yeah. They're loving you. They're like, oh, you're a champion. This is what we deal with. We deal yeah. with every single day. And for people yeah. who are just throwing stones at managers, like maybe they're saying like, oh, all right, I kind of get it. I get yeah. what they're going through. Maybe yeah. I should be a little bit more empathetic towards the boss because I didn't realize like how much stress and agita they're going through all the time. So yeah. I yeah. think this is super helpful.
Oh, good. I appreciate that. And, and for managers listening, um, check out my podcast, Managing Made Simple. I share specific strategies on things like feedback, hard conversations, recognition, you know, how to really help folks do more with less. So you don't have to feel like you have to muscle through it alone or, you know, figure it out. Definitely check it out. I, I'm really trying to demystify all these things and share really ta- tangible, practical tools. Because I think a lot of the, the thing can think even with with many kinds of trainings and manager philosophies it can be very heady and we're like okay i have a hard conversation coming up what do i say you know like we need practical tools see that's what i like these kind of conversations not all jargon and business gobbledygook it's like just like like talking like normal people what to do what to say (laughs) the real stuff you know we don't have to pretend you know like you by by using highfalutin terms to make ourselves important no it's like we want to help people so just let's talk normal so i think i think this this is i think this is going to open the eyes for a lot of people so i think this is great i really appreciate you know you you know sharing it and i have years experience at you know google and microsoft and all these great companies so you know what you're talking you've been there you've done that so you bring all this to the table and yeah, feel free if you want to put it in the content in the in the comments, you know, about your, oh, yeah, your podcast and your book and the TED Talk and all that kind of stuff. And if you yeah. forget, I'll put it in there. Christine will put it in there too, <laughs> because I think it's it's helpful, especially for people who want to go that track and not sure what to do, so they could read right, they could read up on it, yeah. learn about it, exactly. understand what works, what doesn't, what yeah. they should do. Um, because yeah. there are still a lot of people they feel that's the way to get up the corporate ladder. So they want right. to kind of become a manager and a better manager and yeah. uh, hire next level up and level up and so forth. So this way, you know, they could kind of learn and get some insights, you know, from you who've been doing it for you know a number of years, you know, um, and and they could learn from it. And they don't have to kind of just, just learn by trial and error, but yeah. from an expert. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Well, yeah, folks, please feel free to get in touch. I also have book coming out March 1st, The Unstoppable Team, where nice. I talk about a lot of these in more detail and kind of how to get your sort of team operations along with the management dialed up. So you're definitely, I'll put a, a link to learn more about that as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Lee. Thank this you so great. much. This yeah, this awesome. was an awesome conversation. Thanks. Bye-bye.